Are we recording right now? Yeah. Oh my God, fun. Okay. This voice is Hannah. And this voice is Marissa. Also, would probably am is our turn on by it. Hart Slahowski? Yeah. Of course. Doesn't actually no. make a ton of sense. No. What are you doing? Are you talking to yourself? <gasps> oh my God, I already hate this story. You know what? I'm okay with that. Because I just thought you could like bleed suddenly yeah. at any good moment. <laughs> my erotic fan fiction isn't fucking interesting enough for you. Hello, you're listening to Tell Us More Podcast. Shout out to Snow the Product, real good female rapper that everybody should know about. Go download, get on low. Get on, get on low. It also has other people in it, but I don't remember who it's it is. like Orzo or something. No, I think that's a brand. Um, I was... Isn't that a brand of pasta? Mm, probably. <laughs> Orzo? <laughs> um, I don't know. Get on, get, get on, on low. low. Um, yeah, so after this, I don't know, I just feel like we should talk. We are, we, we, know, we always need to talk, but when we, like, when we record things one after the other, it's like, okay, pretend we didn't just spend right. the last we, hour and a half together. <laughs> we exposed, we always expose ourselves, but here's the thing, recording in bulk is just a good idea. Right. <laughs> so. Well, and that's, when we record in bulk, we don't have issues like, oh, we're going out to celebrate your birthday this weekend. Let's not record anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have, it's a safety net. Stop right. getting mad at us. Leave us alone. Like, here. No one cares. Nobody even probably <laughs> noticed. No, that's not true. Whenever we don't post on Wednesday, Sarah always yells at you, doesn't she? Yeah. Or Tuesday. People, yeah, people, I mean, people notice. Sarah yeah, and Lucia. Yeah, our fans. My mom sometimes <laughs> asks about it. Mom always like gets like a day later. She'll be like, "So I saw you posted," and I'm like, "That was on Tuesday, and it's now Friday." Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Thank you for noticing. Uh, I'm gonna go a after this decor decorate my a Christmas tree with my mom. Happy Christmas! And my, I I don't like Christmas, but I try to enjoy. It. Like I try. I love Christmas. I you wish don't I like liked Christmas. holidays. I hate. Yeah, I hate all holidays. I wish I didn't. I do. I wish I didn't, but I just do. They irk me. But I'm trying by decorating. I mean, just go into it with a positive attitude. Have you met my family? Yes. That's why I'm saying. <laughs> Please try. Just try. If you don't succeed, you get to go home and reward yourself with, like, a giant bottle of wine. Exactly. Or vodka. Exactly. Or something else. Yeah, I'm giving it a shot. My sister made deviled eggs. So oh, yum. Love deviled eggs. Just go eat some deviled eggs. Like, I for today? For decorating the tree? Yeah, I asked, <gasps> I asked her to. Yeah. She makes pretty good double eggs. My sister's a pretty good cook. That's awesome. My dad likes to think I get my humor from him. I get it from my uncle. Is your uncle your father's brother? My mom's. So yeah, I'm trying to enjoy the holidays. I wish I was one of those people that got really excited. I love Halloween, and then after my birthday, it's all... I'm just a grump for like three months. I love the holidays. I'm jealous. I love... It's not necessarily that I love, like... I just love that... I mean, because Alexis is out of town, so like when... Alexis and Aaron and the kids come in. I like that. Yeah. And I like... Generally, people like holidays because of family. I was going to say I like it because I feel like, well, now that I don't work in retail anymore, I feel like people are happier around the holidays. Like a little bit nicer. Maybe. Maybe. Have you met my family? <laughs> Again. Yes. Um, but decorating the tree would be fun. Is your dad going to be there? I'm sure he won't participate, but yeah. Okay. Well, you just said you were decorating it with your mom, so yeah. I wasn't sure. If my dad doesn't participate in anything. He's just kind of there. I mean, would you want him to? No. Okay. He'll <laughs> probably make a shitty comment and then walk away, and then I'll be in a bad mood. Don't let it. Don't let it. Just don't. Just don't. What are we doing this week? Uh, next weekend. <gasps> next weekend is the one-year anniversary of me doing the spelling bee. Is it? Mm-hmm. Because I, I did it. I looked back on my, I specifically went back through my Snapchat memories, 
and I found the videos from the first time that I did the spelling bee, and it was like December 9th. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Yeah, because the 7th is Friday, so it'll be December 8th, I think. December 8th. Um, it's really funny to watch those videos, because the whole, like, my face the whole time is just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> like, now it's like, expert I? level 10. Yeah, I'm like, oh, the spelling bee, I got That'd you. That'd be exciting. I hope that. Hopefully nobody's douchey, but. They probably will be, but that's okay. Yeah. I'm an expert level 10 now, so I don't care. That's exactly, you've defeated all. I've defeated demons. all douches. <laughs> douches. Um, okay, so, I mean. Season 2, yeah. episode 12. This is going to be a kind of an amalgamation of a Wikipedia article and this book, um, 50, what is this book called? Fight Like a Girl, 50 Feminists Who Changed the World. Love I have it. read from this before. Wilma Mankiller was in this one. Judy Bloom. <gasps> Yeah! Was born on February 12th, 1938, and raised in Elizabeth, New Jersey. She was the daughter of homemaker Esther and dentist Rudolph Sussman. Sus. Yeah. She had a brother, David, who was five years older. Uh, her family was Jewish. Bloom has recalled, I spent most of my childhood making up stories in my head. So, pretty legit that she would then become an mm -hmm. author. Uh, she graduated from Batten High School in 1956, enrolled in Boston University, and in the first semester, she would, was diagnosed with mononucleosis and took a brief leave from school before graduating. A.K.A. she got mono. A.K.A. the kissing disease. Oh, the kissing disease. A she was out here it. just kissing all the boys. She was. She's a lover. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, she graduated from New York University in 1961 with a bachelor's degree in education. In 1951 and 52, there were three airplane... Oh, Full disclosure, I have not read through this article yet. So it literally says, uh, in 1951 and 1952, there were three airplane crashes in her hometown of Elizabeth. 118 people died in the crashes, and Bloom's father, who was a dentist, helped to identify these unrecognizable remains. Oh. <laughs> what? Dark. Uh, Bloom says she buried these memories until she became, until she began writing her 2015 novel in the unlikely event, the plot of which revolves around the crashes. What a random fact. <laughs> what a childhood scar. Um, so I'm going to switch over to the book now. Growing up in New Jersey, Bloom said that she, even though she loved to read and make up stories in her head, she never wanted to be a writer. Instead, she said, I dreamed of becoming a cowgirl, a detective, a spy, a great actor, or a ballerina. Proof of a good imagination. Look right. at all those options. Not a dentist like my father. Oh, heavens no. Or a homemaker like my mother. Did you know I wanted You're a to... homemaker? Yes. <laughs> I wanted to be a dental hygienist randomly. I did know like this. Like a dentist. I did know this. Yeah. But why didn't you pursue your dream? Not that smart. You could have been a dental hygienist. And oh, also teeth are disgusting. We know some people that are dental hygienists. You could have been a dental hygienist. Yeah, but then I realized, like, Also, not, teeth are disgusting. Yeah, I, that's what I realized is not everybody has teeth like mine. Right. So, gingivitis runs rampant, and Gross. I don't want to deal with Gross. it. <laughs> I don't want to deal with your gingivitis. Ew. Oh, can I make a side comment about gingivitis? Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> Do you remember... Did you ever take uh, Mr. Lawrence's technical writing class? What? High school? Yeah. Lawrence. No, I don't think he so. He was bald with glasses, kind of a hipstery. I don't think so. <clears throat> I don't even know if that's his name, to be quite honest. Just felt right. I don't think there is a Mr. Lawrence. Uh, but there might have been. No, Mr. Laurent. He was a science. I had a crush on him. 
You had a crush on Mr. Wright? He was so Isn't he a twin? I loved him, yeah. His name was Kaylin. I mean, oh, cute. his real name. I had a weird, I, he, Mr., I wasn't like a crush crush, but Mr. Laurent was like, I had a crush on him. That's <laughs> how I nerdiest, felt. the nerdiest, nerdiest teacher, and I just adored him. That's how some girls felt about Mr. Weber, and how I Mr. Felt, Weber was hot! Yeah, he was. Mr. Laurent was the science teacher. <laughs> I also had, I kind of had a thing for Mr. Woolen, but he was like a little arrogant, Ooh. but like I kind of had a thing. I can see that, but um, he hated me. It's true. He's the one that. I walked into his class five minutes late, and he looked at me, and I went, I had to curl my hair, and I sat down. <laughs> so you. You've always been true to yourself. He also, I know, right? Uh, my brand has been strong since the day strong, I was born. Strong. Um, no, that's the one that he locked Ben and I out of the classroom, because after our AP test, like, we constantly would show up late. It was my first hour. Yeah. It was my senior year. Yeah. And he called my mom, and my mom was like, she already took her AP test. Like, if you want to drop her from the course, drop her. Like, she doesn't need it. Right. <laughs> Liz, just truly spitting facts, like, you're, come on. Ugh. My mom created a monster with yeah, me. Yeah, she really did. <laughs> Teacher's horse nightmare. You Anyways. also had three older sisters to attribute to mm-hmm. the monster that you are. I think the, the beautiful, I think great the monster. the worst thing that Vanessa ever did was stick her tongue out at a teacher. Like, that's the worst wow. thing she did. The rest Probably of us behind their like, back, too. Um, no, I think she got, I think she got ISS, ISS for it, or detention or whatever. What, how old? I think it was middle school. Oh, okay. I think it was Mr. G. Oh, you didn't, we didn't go to the same middle school. Frick. Um, it's this, I think it was the same teacher that I, when I had him, walked in about 30 seconds late on, like, the fourth to last day of class, and, um, he, he goes, where's your late slip? And I was like, it's, like, a minute. I was like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. I just, don't be dumb. <laughs> don't be and dumb. He, and he was like, go get your late slip. And I was like, are you kidding? And he was like, no, go get your late slip. And it was, like, in front of the whole class. And I literally just both fingers up, middle finger, and walked yes, out. Yes, you did. And then, and then I got ISS for the second, I think the last, not the, like, the third and the fourth last day of class or oh something. <laughs> wow, really stick it to the man. Yeah. Um, Again, I, teachers, I, I, teachers liked me. Most teachers liked me. You just, like, really showed it to the ones that didn't. I just you have really an gave- issue with people <laughs> demanding respect for me just because you're a teacher like I will respect you if you respect me as a 12 year old both ways 12 year olds they deserve that respect and the funniest part is that Aaron is now a teacher and like if I if I did or if any of her students did any of the things that I did to my teachers I would kill them like Aaron Aaron deserves none of that none of it none of it um what were you going to, sorry. Oh, sorry, yeah, gingivitis. Um, we had to create, like, a product in that class, and... In technical writing? Yeah, it oh. was, like, because we had a, yeah, I don't know, we had to, like, create a product and, like, write a description or something, Cute. I don't remember. Um, so, Lucia and I made a cereal called gingivitis. It was a cereal that helped oh. fight gingivitis. <laughs> gingivitis. <laughs> we also made a board game called What's Wrong With My Aunt? Oh well, how do I play the game? I want to play. We still had it, and I think I took it, and I don't know what I did with it because I was gonna make it an actual board game because I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, you had to figure I'm out. De- I'm I'm invested. I yeah. want to know how to play. What's wrong with my aunt? Um, so there's like the sea of syringes. Oh my god! And there's a bunch of because like your aunt has some sort of sickness, and you need to figure out what the sickness is, and it's like a board game, and you like basically, it's kind of like. 
there, there were, it was kind of kind of like a choose your own story because it depended on which cards that you drew of where it was kind of like set up like how Candyland you'd go to a certain spot and if you would land on that spot it would say something about like go to the sea of syringes or some shit and then you had diabetes or something I don't remember it was and we we purposely printed out pictures I think this game sounds horrible <laughs> it was a really good game people had a lot of fun playing it I think it. It sounds problematic. The yeah. sea of syringes sounds not great. For diabetes. <laughs> Got it. Okay. It's, it's, it's not actually where a I good went. thing. Not where I went. It's actually a good thing. Uh, not <laughs> where I went. Not where I thought the sea of syringes was going to go. Anyway, gingivitis. 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 Not terrible. No, it's not a bad idea. I like it. It should be a real thing. Probably, cereal probably wouldn't taste very good. No. It's neither does having gingivitis. Gingivitis. Can you taste gingivitis? Well, you're you're gross. I would eat whatever I needed to eat to get rid of the gingivitis. Isn't gingivitis just your gums, like, decaying? Yeah, that's bad. But can you taste it? No, but it, I don't I don't know. Okay, I don't want to know. I have great teeth. <laughs> I have great Many compliments teeth. from dentists every time I go. Um, Judy Blue. <laughs> anyway. Judy Bloom. She didn't begin writing until adulthood. Uh, when she was married and her two kids were in preschool, she said she was desperate for a creative outlet. She bop, 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 published her first book in 1969 called "The One in the Mid." <laughs> the one in the middle is the green kangaroo. The classic, the classic. <laughs> uh, she released a rapid succession of new books over the next ten years, including some of her most popular books, like "Blubber," "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret." Oh, "Blubber," and "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret." I think we just actually had a trivia question about Judy Bloom because I remember those two titles and how oh, yeah. I didn't know she wrote Blubber. I didn't either. That's amazing. I was just going to say I had no idea she wrote Blubber. Wait, is it Blubber or Flubber? Wait, is what Blubber that? and Flubber are two different things. Blubber's about a fat girl, I think. Mm. I think. I was thinking about I think Flubber. I really related to that movie. I think I was uh, thinking of Flubber. I was 100% thinking of Flubber until I just told you that yep. they're two different things. Yep. Um... Oh. Wow. That's embarrassing. This is almost worse than the 10,000 likes thing. <laughs> I'm only ever half right. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not right, fully right about things. Oh, um, don't worry. Oh, no, it is about a fat girl. Okay, so the cover is a whale, and I was like, oh, no, it's about <laughs> No, it's, um, it's Blubber. I kind of, I think I may have blacked this book out because I think it may have, like, hit a little too close to home when yeah. I read it. Um, the narrator is a young adult novel, first published in 1974. The young narrator is Jill Brenner, a Pennsylvania fifth grader who joins her classmates in ostracizing and bullying Linda, an awkward and overweight girl. Linda gives an oral class report on whales and is hence nicknamed <sighs> Blubber by her peers. Yeah, I fully blacked this book Okay, this that's really sad. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like, I, I mean, I'm sure it ends well, but I don't think I have the mental stability to go back and read no, that book. No, <laughs> no, 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 Tri trigger warning. Um, Flubber, nice. Flubber, one. though. Flubber. Great movie. Great movie. <laughs> different, different topics. Way different. Um... All right, and then have you read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. No, you haven't. No. Oh my God, it's all about when she, this girl gets her period. It's like a very much like coming of age story. <gasps> oh my God, I should read it. Um, also, I'm a little surprised you didn't read it because it is religious. She like talks to God. Oh, so when I first got my period, my mom told me not to talk about it because it made her uncomfortable. So, but you could have talked to God about it. That's what Margaret did. Didn't know it was an option. Uh, that's how uncomfortable my mom was about me getting my period. I didn't know there were sources I could check out. Um, 
Anyway, anyway. Uh, Bring that though up her work, Though her work touched many readers from the beginning, her books were considered controversial. One woman reportedly called Bloom on the phone and accused her of being a communist for writing, what? Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. What? It's about a girl getting her period. The book, however, has, not- red. The book, however, has nothing to do with politics. <laughs> I think it's about her getting I don't remember. We're only re- ever half right. I've read all these books like read our bio. I was, like nine. I read all these. Um, Judy Bloom has been married three times and is open about her personal struggles she went through in her life. After divorcing her first husband, lawyer John M. Bloom, she remarried quickly, admitting she didn't know how to be unmarried. Mm, her second marriage didn't fare well either, and she remembered that relationship as a disaster, a total disaster. After a couple of years, I got out. I cried every day. Anyone who thinks my life is cupcakes is all wrong. Mm. Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom. Life is not cupcakes. Don't let the last name fool you. It's not great. (laughs) She credited her work with helping her get through those tough times, saying, Work really saved me. I've always been able to write, even when everything else is falling apart. Later in life, Bloom successfully conquered breast cancer and cervical cancer diagnoses. Um, Judy Bloom's most banned books... Uh, more than a few of Judy Bloom's books have made an appearance on the American Library Association list of 100 most frequently yep. challenged books. That was what the trivia question was about. Really? The banned books, yep. These five classic Bloom books earned this dubious distinction between 1990 and 1999. So these are the most banned ones. Her first one was Forever in 1975. It's about a girl loses her virginity for the first time to her, well, of course, to the first time. <laughs> So she loses her virginity for the first time, yeah. as opposed to, well, as Dr. Chris uh, from the Amber Rose podcast would say, every time you have sex with somebody new, it's like losing your virginity all over again. Wow. Because it's a new experience. Deep. It's very deep. Super deep. My cat deep. is pooping in the background. Oh, cool. I was wondering what that was. I thought he was just scratching something. No. Um, anyway, so that one's about losing her virginity, and miraculously, they don't get punished for their wanton teen ways. Okay. Uh. Oh, maybe I should read it. Um, really oh, but then she navigates the murky waters of falling for another boy while she's still involved with Michael. Uh-oh. Is that in the same book? Uh-huh. <clears throat> oh, and Michael's penis is nicknamed Ralph, if you care about that in the book. 100% I care about all penis-related nicknames. Ralph. Okay. Uh, her second most banned book is Blubber. Jill, the narrator, the Pennsylvania fifth grader, participates in the bullying, blah, blah, blah. Um... Why would that book be banned? It says she doesn't buy into the bullying because she's a bad person or because she truly believes Linda deserves it. She does it to fit in with her peers, especially Wendy, the requisite horrible mean girl who dominates the girl's class. Wendy doesn't get hers in the end, and apparently this bothered some adult readers. Bloom wrote in 2013 that Blubber was banned in Montgomery County, Maryland for lack of moral tone and more recently challenged in Canton, Ohio, for allowing evil behavior to go unpunished. Oh, maybe that's why I blacked it out, because nobody gets in trouble. Oh, yeah, I that mean, but that's the, that's the reality, the sad reality is, is that's, that it, most of those things don't have happy endings, because right. teachers are like, well, you, you can't prove it, it's like it's happening in front of you. That's what I don't get about schools. <sighs> I would also like to say, I got called a whale in high school, and I just let it roll off of me. But you're a badass. Maybe that book prepared me. Maybe. Maybe I was like, think of a more creative title. Right, that already happened. Have you ever heard of the book Blubber? Haven't you read Judy Bloom's classic 1974 novel? AJ Gaynor, haven't you read the classic 1974 novel Blubber? Get new material! It's been done! Um, classic. Calling a fat girl a whale. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Think of another animal. Um... 
Okay, third most banned book. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I have a period and I have to do. This work is perhaps Bloom's most famous book, and it's one that helped girls everywhere through the roughest parts of their teen years. You really needed this book. I did! The book centers on Margaret, an 11-year-old who just moved to New Jersey with her family. She befriends a crew of girls who candidly talk about their secret hopes and fears, buying their first bra, getting their periods, and kissing boys. Margaret is different from them, though, because her mom is a Christian, and her dad is Jewish. And apparently this was scandalous way back then. Well, yeah. Mixing <laughs> religions. literally what it says. Oh my god, I need to... I'm gonna read that book now. Do it. Younger I mean, it's Marissa. from 1970. It's super relatable. They always say, be who you needed when you were younger, and I needed this book. So for my younger self, I will read it. I would it. like you to read it. I'm pretty sure it's very short, and I would like you to do a full book report on it. That'll be my next just report, episode. No, just report back. At the beginning of the next episode, I will ask you, maybe not, I'll give you some weeks. Mel, I have Audible and I have many free credits, so okay. I'm sure I can I wonder who it. reads Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. I would love it to be Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> Are You There, God? It's me. Margaret. 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 Read by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next book <laughs> is called Dini, which I don't even... It's that bad. I've never heard of it. 1973. It says, This book doesn't, on the surface, sound remotely controversial. It's about a 13-year-old wannabe model who finds her life upended when she's diagnosed with scoliosis and is forced to wear a back brace. I also have scoliosis, so I get it. She's a normal... You needed these books, Marissa. I needed Judy Bloom. She's a normal, pubescent girl in every other respect, confronted with the usual insecurities, and when Bloom dares to ahem, touch on, and what got this book trouble in trouble... Masturbation is its references to Deanie getting a very nice feeling from touching her special place. Nice. I definitely <laughs> needed this book. What's up? So that's what got Too it banned many. was the masturbation. Uh, the last one is Tiger Eyes in 1981. The protagonist is a 15-year-old girl named Davy. Oh, I like it. Who's reeling after her father was shot dead in a hold-up. Shit. Hold-up. Soon her... <laughs> yeah. Way to ruin the mood. <laughs> Soon her mother decides to relocate the family to New Mexico to move on, and her world is rocked even more. Thankfully, Davy meets a new friend named Wolf, who helps her navigate the murky new life she's thrust into. And this book reportedly ended up on the American Library Association list due to its portrayals of underage drinking, depression, and death. So basically, Judy books, Judy's books were just, like, real, and people were like, fuck you. We want to pretend that those things Give aren't happening to our children, um, even though they're very real, and it would probably have really benefited my kids from reading those books. Your kids? Mm. Oh, your theoretical <laughs> my kids. theoretical, yeah, in the it. 70s, yes. I'm a, I understand. You're a mother. Roe Judy Bloom in the 70s, a mother, and I let my daughters read all of those books to become strong and powerful women and one day grow up to be um, Gloria Steinem. Will you please read, um, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and then I also want you to read, uh, Dee. <laughs> Yeah, the ones that I needed the most when I was younger. I owe it to because that one's about scoliosis. Also, I'm I have so many Hashtag things against me. Relatable. I was also very skinny. I could have been a model at thirteen. You could have. Well, I was ugly, so but no. She had but scoliosis. <laughs> it's kind of ugly. So. Um, and then this just says listing her cool credentials. Bloom has won more than ninety awards, including the Library of Congress Living Legends Award and the two thousand four National Book Foundation's Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. Okay. In 1996, she won the American Library Association Margaret A. Edwards Award, which recognizes the writer's unique body of work for its significant and lasting contribution to young adult literature and work that helps adolescents become aware of themselves and in addressing their questions about their role and importance in relationships, society, and in the world. 
1975 book Forever, was speci- it was specifically noted in the citation, she broke new ground for, in her frank portrayal of Michael and Catherine, high school seniors who were in love for the first time, and their love and sexuality are described in an open and realistic manner with great compassion. Ooh. Open, I, realistic, I, compassionate? What more could a teenage girl need? Right? She founded the Kids Fund, which is a charitable and educational foundation that gives about $40,000 per year to various nonprofits offering a range of children's programs from work for, workshops on divorce to teen mom support groups. Oh. Um, June 17th is a holiday called Judy Bloomsday. I love it. Started by two Bloom fans who wanted to riff on Bloomsday, the annual holiday when James Joyce fans celebrate his book, Ulysses. So, mm. there you go. Okay. Um... Quotes from Judy Bloom: When you asked, did writing change my life? It totally changed my life. It gave me my life. She also said, it's all about your determination, I think, as much as anything. I would cry when the rejections came in the first couple times anyway, and I would go to sleep feeling down, but I would wake up in the morning optimistic and saying, well, maybe they didn't like that one, but wait till they see what I'm going to do next. And I think you just have to keep going. What a good inspiration. I think that's good for me to learn, too. I mean, and you everybody. basically just need Judy Bloom. I needed Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom was what I needed when I was younger. And, again, I have an entire bit about how growing up Catholic ruined my life. Yeah. And it's, it's, because it's so, it's just, I needed this. This quote is all, you should get this tattooed on you. Each of us must confront our own fears, must come face to face with them. How we handle our fears will determine where we go with the rest of our lives to experience adventure or to be limited by the fear of it. That's so inspirational. It's super long. You should definitely get all of it quoted. The In last large part, font. Yes. Times uh, New Roman 12. <laughs> 12? 12 is not large. That's <laughs> the average. Um, the last quote is, hate and war are bad words. Fuck isn't. <laughs> Love it. Judy, a queen. She is 80 years old, FYI. Fuck Her yes. birthday is, I just had it pulled up. Where did she go? Oh, we're on Blubber. We're on the book about Blubber. I want to look at Judy Bloom. Her birthday is February 12th, 1938. So it's coming up. She's going to be 81. My mom's is the 11th. My dad's is the 7th. I was birthday sex. I don't want to know that. My birthday's November. (laughs) My due date was November 11th. My mom's birthday is February 11th. I did the math. I was scarred. That's why you shouldn't do math ever. Math is bad. It's bad for you and your health. Yeah. You You know what's not bad for you? Judy Bloom? Yes, but also peeing, which I have to do right now. Okay, cool. I'll right back. <laughs> On to me, my story. On to me and my story. On to me and my story. Poway, California, 1992. Tom DeLong gets expelled from his high school for showing up drunk to a basketball game. <laughs> so he has to attend a different high school. He performed in their battle, the new high school. So he performed in his new high school's Battle of the Bands where he met drummer Scott Rayner and met Carrie Key as well. Carrie's girlfriend, Anne, introduced them to her brother, Mark Hoppus, who plays the bass. The two clicked instantly and played for hours in DeLong's garage, exchanging lyrics and co-writing songs, one of which became Carousel, which is also the name of their debut album. Of course, I am talking about Blink-182. Oh, I literally was just about to ask you, am I supposed to know who these people are? Apparently. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't write that I down at all. I recognize some of the names. The names. Yeah. But like, like Tom DeLonge In and my head, Hoppus. I was like, I don't know what this I is. I don't know where this is going. But yay, Blink-182! So, a fun fact that was mentioned immediately after that sentence on Wikipedia was Hoppus, in trying to impress DeLong, managed to fall from a lamppost in front of DeLong's garage and cracked his ankles. An injury that put him in crutches for three weeks. Ew, ew, ew. So oh my god, ew. They're just like, 
Ew. Boys. They're just teenage boys fucking around and, and just having a good time, like being stupid. Yeah. Doing dumb boy things. Boys are dumb. Uh, Rainer, DeLong, and Hoppus started playing music together, spending hours writing music, attending punk shows and movies, and playing practical jokes. The first few names of the band tried were Duct Tape, <laughs> Figure Eight, and then they settled on Blink. Just Blink. Hoppus's girlfriend was angered by her boyfriend's constant attention to the band and demanded he make a choice between the band and her, which resulted in Hoppus leaving the band shortly after the formation. Anne sounds like a bitch, but also I feel... <laughs> But also, I feel for her because I wouldn't want to be neglected in my relation either, but, like, in just my own personal opinion, you can't give an ultimatum. All you can do is express your discomfort, and they do with the information what they will, but never be like, ants to say this, or I'm leaving. Also, like... Compromise. Or or break up. Yeah. Don't force someone to stop doing something that they love. Don't, like, stop someone's creative outlet. Right. Like, I would never want to take yes. that away from somebody, but also, like, if I'm feeling neglected, all I can do is tell you I feel neglected, and then I don't want to take your band away from you. Stay in your band, please. But, like, we either compromise or I have to break up with you. Because I'm not enjoying the way the relationship's going. But eventually they become Blink-182, so I kind of feel like I'm fucked up. Well, here's the thing. Shortly thereafter, DeLong and Rainer, Rainer borrowed a four-track recorder from their friend and collaborator Cam Jones and were preparing to record a demo tape with Jones on the bass. Hoppus promptly broke up with his girlfriend and returned to the band. <laughs> Fly Swatter, a combination of original songs and punk covers, was recorded in Rainer's bedroom in May 1993. Uh, punk was huge back then, but East Coast and West Coast punk were completely different. And this is a quote from Tom DeLong: New York is gloomy, dark, and cold. It makes different music. The California middle-class suburbs have nothing to be that bummed out about. <laughs> Uh, as the band was growing in popularity, DeLong called clubs constantly in San Diego asking for a spot to play, as well as calling up local high schools, convincing them that Blink was a motivational band with a strong anti-drug message yeah! and hopes to play at an assembly or lunch, because, yeah, yeah, we always had live bands oh at lunch. Oh my god, Sam. Actually, do you remember let Mr. Bunting and then another teacher, I can't remember, were, were in a band and they played in the cafeteria and wanted, like, homecoming once? I don't recall this at all, like but I morning. believe it. Yeah, in the morning when we, I think it was, was Cecil in it too? I think it was Bunting and Cecil. Probably. The two coolest people in the school. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I still have Cecil's number. Oh my god, I love that. Should we call him? Give him a, have him come on, on the show. <laughs> Send him a text. Send him quick. a quick text. Uh, the band was on stage nearly every weekend, even at Elks, Lodges, and YMCA centers. The band soon became part of a circuit that also included the likes of Ten Foot Pole and Unwritten Law which are apparently Classics. also bands. <laughs> and the band found its way onto the bill as the opening band for local acts at Soma, a local all-ages venue located on Market Street, uh, which the band longed to headline. So it's like um, it's like the garage. Yeah, pro yeah probably. For all our Minnesotan fan listener fans. Blah. Minnesota fans, it's like the garage. Cool. Punk's not dead. Punk's not dead. Uh, big name acts such as NOFX and Green Day played on the main floor, while Ooh. smaller acts were relegated to the basement, an area referred to as the Dungeon. The original location closed its doors and relocated before the band would be promoted to the main stage, which required a 100-plus crowd to attend. Soma was like a home away from home. All the punk kids who didn't give a fuck about football games and proms or whatever came to hang out at Soma. Totally the garage. The garage. Totally the garage. <laughs> uh, that was a quote from Mark Hoppus. The band's first big show on the main floor took place on a Thursday where the band opened for Face to Face. 
Hobbes's manager at the record store, Patrick Secor, Secor, so Hobbes worked at a record store, obviously, and this is his manager, uh, fronted him the money to properly record another demo at local studio Double Time. Nice. So he believed in them. <laughs> the result was Buddha, 1994, which the members of the band viewed as the band's first legitimate release. Uh, by this time, the group had branched out to venues such as the Soul Kitchen in El Cajon, but Rayner's family relocated to Reno, Nevada, where and was briefly replaced. Cajon. Uh, and he was briefly replaced by musician Mike Krull. The band saved money and began flying Rayner out to shows, but eventually Rayner moved in with Hoppus for a summer in which the band would record its first album and music video and gain even more exposure. <clears throat> Around 1994, Cargo Records offered to sign the band on a trial basis. Hoppus was the only member to sign the contract as DeLong was at work at the time and Rayner was still a minor. <laughs> DeLong was like, I'm at work, I can't do it right now, but I'm yeah, really go busy. for it. I'm really busy, but yeah, sign, yeah, sign totally. that. Yeah, go for it, whatever. I have to go back to stocking produce. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go to the deli. <laughs> gotta go to the deli. Uh, the band recorded its debut album in three days at West Beach Records in Los Angeles, fueled by both new songs and re-recordings of songs from previous demos. Their debut album, Cheshire Cat, 1995, didn't do well commercially, but the fans deem it iconic. The record also drew the attention of Irish band Blink. Unwilling to engage in a legal battle, the band agreed to change its name. Car Cargo gave the band a week, but the trio put off the decision for more than two <laughs> afterward. Eventually, Cargo called Blink 182, demanding that the band change the name or we'll change it for you, after which the band decided on a random number, 182. They literally just picked the, a number. Right, and you know Cute. what bothers me so much? What? So, in... The UK, they don't say Blink-182, they say Blink-182, mm -hmm. which pisses, because they're like, 182 is not how you say it, it'd be 182, and it's like, you didn't name the band. You can't tell Blink-182 that they named their band incorrectly, it's their band. Also, you can't just decide to call it 182 because you think that's how it should be pronounced. That's not how Blink-182 pronounces it themselves. I don't call anything 182. Right. Like, it's 182 bucks. Or right. Something. Oh, I guess I just did that. Well, yeah, but I like. I literally just said I don't do that, and then I and did then it. You did it. You lied. <laughs> um, you fucking lied to our listeners. How much money is it? Oh, 182. Right. And you say, but you yeah. say that too, though. And, he, and then James Corden weighed in and was like, it would, both of James you are Corden? wrong. Yeah. Of the late, late show? Yeah, of course. Okay. And he was like, both of you are wrong because it would be 182. No, that's like saying, so Lucia's name is spelled L-U-C-I-A. That's like saying she can't go by Lucia because it's spelled Lucia. Like, you can't just decide that someone's name is wrong, if, especially if they named themselves. I like that you used Lucia's name and not your name. Why would I use my name? Because your name, if I just read it, I would read Marisa. Which a lot of people do, yeah. Marisa. Marisa. Which, and like, yeah, no, for sure. But like, a lot of people, people call me Marissa, like, they figure it out. But like, right. people call Lucia Lucia all the time, and it's like... No, that's not, not my name. It's pronounced Lucia. Like, you can't tell Blink-182 no, that their wrong. name is wrong. No, your name is Lucia. Your name is wrong. I have changed it for you. No, it's Lucia. Like, they named themselves. Deal with it. I like that you have so much anger for Well, that. I just, I read that article and it pissed me off so much because it's like you cannot tell someone that they named their band incorrectly. If they named themselves Blink-182, they call themselves Blink-182. They are the band. You shall call them as such. Don't people still just call people, like, them Blink also? Yeah, people call them Blink, but... I bet blink the OG blank is annoyed. Those Irish men sure know how to throw down. <laughs> um, this band soon hired manager Rick DeVoe, who associated with larger bands such as uh, NOFX, Pennywise, and The Offspring. I've only ever no heard of The Offspring. Oh, um, NoFX. <laughs> is a band. Um, Pennywise? 
and I shall pronounce it as no effects because that is how they pronounce their own name. I mean, to be fair, I'm pretty sure that's how they do it. Again, Probably. everything I say is half right. Same. Say that's why confidence. I put it in. That's why I put it in our bio, an informational podcast that's only ever half right. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of Pennywise either, but I have heard of The Offspring. Oh, you have. You heard of them, the famous band The Offspring. Well, apparently, the other two bands are famous as well. I mean, I know of no effects, but I don't. I, I mean, uh, Pennywise is a stupid name. They're clearly stupid. Right. Uh, stupid. All our Pennywise listeners just unsubscribe. They unsubscribe. Pennywise, the band themselves, unsubscribe. They were they were really rooting for us until we dissed them. <laughs> In addition, the band crucially draw crucially drew the attention of Rick and Gene Bond of the Tahoe Booking Agency, who were responsible for spreading the name of the band far and wide and getting the group as many gigs as humanly possible. Yeah. Surf film director Taylor, Taylor Steele. Surf? Apparently. Like surfing? Probably because it's California. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's uh, legit. friend of DeVoe was preparing a national tour to promote his new surf video, Good Times. So yeah, surfing. I love that this is a genre of, of video. It's just surf yeah. video. I feel like surfers t- video themselves and so do skateboarders. It's like a very California thing. Yeah. It's like the number $40 million. I can't, I don't associate I no myself with that. I don't know what that is. I can't wreck my eyes. I can't register. Suddenly I can't read. My eyes just simply don't register that. That's $4. <laughs> $4. Uh, boop, boop, boop. And the band signed on for its national tour, its first national tour, which extended as far as the East Coast. Were they headlining? I think they just signed on to be a part of it. Oh, okay. Uh, the band members purchased their own tour van and embarked on the Good Times Tour with Unwritten Law, Sprung Monkey, and Seven Seconds. Don't know any of those. Me either. The Good Times Tour continued and the band was whisked away to Australia with Pennywise. Australia! Australia. With Pennywise, uh, paying for the band's plane ticket. Nice of them. Oh. Uh, Fletcher <laughs> Sorry, Drag- Pennywise, we don't know who you are. <laughs> Pennywise. Fletcher Draggy, guitarist of Pennywise, believed, the ban- believed in the band strongly. He demanded Kevin Lyman, founder of the Warped Tour... To sign the band for the 1996 festival, telling Damn. him that they're going to be gigantic. Australia was very receptive to the band, and its humorous stage shows and pranks gained them a reputation, but also made them ostracized and considered a joke. So they were just too much of pranksters for people to take them seriously, but people still liked their music. They were just like, you're dumb. Got it. Got it, got it. Um, good. <clears throat> 1996, the band was becoming so popular that Interscope, MCA, and Epitaph began a bidding war to sign them. Cool. Eventually, they went with MCA because MCA promised them full creative control. Nice. Scott Rayner began to feel half-invested in the band at this point because he wanted to go with Epitaph. Uh, The band was criticized by the punk community for signing with a big label. After nonstop touring, the trio began recording their follow-up Dude Ranch over a period of a month in late 96. The records, uh, the record hit stores the following summer and the band headed out on the 1997 Warped Tour. 1997. Mm-hmm. Damn. Damn it, the album's lead single received heavy airplay on modern rock stations. Uh, Dude Ranch shipped gold by 1998, but an exhaustive touring schedule brought tensions among the trio. Rainer had began drinking heavily to mm-hmm. offset personal issues, and he was fired by DeLong and Hoppus in mid-1998, despite agreeing to attend rehab and quit drinking. Damn. Travis Barker, drummer for tourmate yeah. the, Aquabat, the Aquabats, filled in for Rainer, learning... The 20-song set list in 45 minutes. That's because Travis Parker is bomb. The most amazing person. I love him. Uh, And this was before their first show. By July, he joined the band full-time, and the band entered the studio with producer Jerry Finn later that year. 
they began to work on their third album. And this is a quote from a former, the former bandmate mm-hmm. of the Aquabats. <clears throat> I remember Travis rehearsing backstage for an hour or two, then playing with them during sound check. Recalled Aquabats member Adam Dibert. A few of us were standing by the stage, and I vividly remember the feeling of this is the new Blink. We should have looked for a new drummer right then and there because it was so obvious what the band that what band he belonged in. That's kind of cute. I love that, that they were supportive. I love Travis Barker. Me too so much. I literally just been sitting here waiting for you to start talking about Travis Barker. Uh, no, right? I, I when I was researching, it was like, so when does Travis come in? When does so, Travis? So uh, where's Travis Barker? <laughs> Travis Barker is like. I, I love a man drenched in tattoos. I think he's so hot. Just, I could... It's weird that, like, he's probably the only drummer that I would, like, want to see. Like, there's... It's not often right. that you're like, I want to go see this band because of the drummer, but right. it's like, I But when it's Travis, Travis Barker, <laughs> you'd want to go see the band for Travis Barker. I, I totally agree. Um, with the release of the group's third album, Enema of the State, in June 1999, Blink-182 was catapulted to stardom and became the biggest pop-punk act of the era. Three singles were released from the record. What's My Age Again, All the Small Things, and Adam's Song. Those were all on the same album? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, they became major radio hits and MTV staples. All the Small Things became a number one hit on the Modern Rock Tracks chart, but also became a crossover hit and peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Nice. Its video parodied boy bands and pop music videos <laughs> and won Best Group Video at the 2000 MTV Video Music Awards. Although the band was criticized... As synthesized, manufactured pop, only remotely resembling punk, and pigeonholed as a joke uh, due to the Purell, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> whatever, they just thought they were a joke. Uh, okay. Enema, of, the punk community doesn't consider Blink-182 punk, and it's like, shut up, you're just mad they're successful. Um, Enema, mean, yeah. what? I was just going to say they're yeah. mainstream punk, but yeah. Enema of the State was an enormous commercial success. The album has sold over 15 million copies worldwide and had a considerable effect on the pop-punk music, inspiring a second wave of the genre and numerous acolytes. Acolytes? Acolytes? Acolytes. Let's spell with a Y. Oh, acolytes. Uh, so, people that follow them. Nice. Uh, they had a cameo in American Pie and in 2001 recorded their album Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, which included hits like Rock Show, which is one of my favorite Blink-182 songs. Uh, the album debuted at number one. They were known for their silly music videos. Uh, at this point, things started to tense up uh, within the band. DeLong wanted a heavier rock sound and felt limited with Blink sound. DeLong put together a band called Boxcar Racer as a side project so he could make the music that he wanted to make. He invited Travis to play the, jum- the drums, and Mark felt betrayed. This was a main cause of their eventual hiatus. Barker also explored hip-hop influences and mm-hmm. teamed up with Rancid's Tim Armstrong to form the rap rock band transplants in 2003 they released uh, blink released their fifth studio album it had a different sound because at this point they were all fathers and their lifestyles had changed a bit critics generally complimented the new more mature direction taken for the album and its lead singles feeling this and i miss you charted high with the latter becoming the group's second number one hit on the billboard modern rock tracks chart fans however were split um, the one where Tom DeLonge goes, where are you? Oh my God, stop. And I'm so sorry. Oh I God. cannot sleep. I, I cannot sleep tonight. <laughs> that one. Okay. But yep. you know what it is now. Yeah, no, I know. Where, where are you? <laughs> Everybody says it like that. Where are you? Where are you? Okay. Um, anyway. Silly me. 
<laughs> Fans, however, were split by the new direction and tensions within the band, stemming from the grueling schedule and DeLong's desire to spend more time with his family, started to become evident. In 2005, they went on an indefinite hiatus. The band had broken up after members' arguments regarding their future and recording process. DeLong felt increasingly conflicted, both about his creative freedom within the group and the toll the touring was taking on his family. He eventually expressed his desire to take a half-year half respite from touring in order to spend more time with his family. Hoppus and Barker were dismayed by his decision, which they felt was an overly long break. The band abruptly canceled a performance at a music for relief benefit show after rehearsals grew more contentious. Further arguments had ensued during rehearsals, rooted in the band's members' increasing paranoia and bitterness toward one another. DeLong considered his bandmates' priorities mad, mad different. <laughs> as a quote. Uh, coming to the conclusion that the trio had simply grown apart as they aged, had families, and reached fame, the breakdown in communication led to heated exchanges resulting in DeLong's exit from the group. Travis and Mark started the band Plus 44. Their album received... Oh. I knew this, but totally forgot about this. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Uh, it received mixed reviews, and then Barker starred in the MTV reality series Meet the Barkers with his then-wife, former Miss USA, Shanna Mokler. The couple's later split, reconciliation, and subsequent breakup made them tabloid favorites. I loved that show. <laughs> I don't think I ever watched it. Oh my god, it. I loved that show. Um... <clears throat> So, meanwhile, DeLong disappeared from public eye, making no appearances, granting no interviews, and remaining silent until September 2005 when he announced his new project, Angels and Airwaves, promising the greatest rock and roll revolution for this generation. Do you like Angels and Airwaves? No. I don't really either. I don't like it. It's a lot of instrumentals. It's a, it's just, I mean, it's the music that Tom wanted to make, so good for him. And <clears throat> there are people that, like, adore oh, Angels yeah. and Airwaves. People fucking love Angels and Airwaves. Uh, totally worked Tori. Uh, he later revealed he was addicted to painkillers at the time, recalling, I was losing my mind. I was on thousands of painkillers and I almost killed myself. And did not, uh, and he did not realize that his promise of revolution sounded highly ambitious. The group released two albums in 2006 and 2007. Hoppus produced albums for Motion City Soundtrack. Hell yeah! Also hosting his <laughs> podcast, Hi, my name is Mark! While Barker launched a shoe line and worked on three other musical projects. The band members did not speak from their breakup until 2008. That August, Jerry Finn, their record producer, suffered a cerebral hemorrhage and was taken off life support. On September 19th, Barker and Goldstein were involved in a plane crash that killed four people, leaving the two, leaving the, two the only survivors. Barker sustained second and third degree burns and developed post-traumatic stress disorder, and the accident resulted in 16 surgeries and, 48, and a 48-hour blood transfusion. Hoppus was alerted about Barker's accident by a phone call in the middle of the night and jumped on the next flight to the burn center. Mm -hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm like starting to tear up. Uh, DeLong found out via the TV news at an airport while waiting to board a flight. Within minutes, he was crying in a seat. I thought he was going to die, says DeLong. I'm like, starting to cry a little. Who quickly reached out to his former bandmate, mailing him a letter and a photograph. Instantly after the plane, the plane crash, I was like, hey, I want to play music with him again. The trio eventually met up in the hospital, laying the grounds for what was going to be the band's reunion. Eventually, an arrangement was made for the trio to meet at Hoppus and Barker's Los Angeles studio in October 2008. The three opened up discussing the events of their hiatus and their breakup, and DeLong was the first to approach the subject of reuniting. Hoppus remembered, I remember... Tom said, so what do you guys think? Where are your heads at? And I said, I think we should continue with what we've been doing for the past 17 years. I think we should get back on the road and back in the studio and do what we love doing. Eventually, the band reappeared for the first time on stage together in nearly five years as presenters at the February 2009 Grammy Awards, announcing their reunion. 
The trio embarked on a reunion tour of North America from July to October 2009, with a European trek following from August to September 2010. The recording process for Neighborhoods, the band's sixth studio album, was stalled by its studio autonomy, tours, managers, and personal projects. DeLong recorded at his studio in San Diego, while Hoppus and Barker recorded in Los Angeles, an extension of their strained communication. The self-produced album, their first without producer Jerry Finn, was released in September 2011 and peaked at number two in the Billboard 200. Its singles Up All Night and After Midnight only attracted modest chart success, and label Interscope was reportedly disappointed with album sales. I love Blink-182, and I've never heard of this album. I was going to say, I don't even know what those singles are. No. Despite growing evidence of remaining friction between the members, the band continued to tour in the early 2010s. They headlined the 10th annual Honda Civic Tour in North America from 2011. And I think Fall Boy was on that tour. Good for them. That was like peak that music. Mm-hmm. Uh, or wait, no, it wasn't. 2010? Yeah, I was thinking of... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm farting real quick. Um, oh, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like 2006 to... Yeah. <clears throat> they headlined the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah and toured Europe in 2012. The band left Interscope Records at October and subsequently released Dogs Eating Dogs, an EP in December 2012. The trio toured Australia in 2013. Brooks Wackerman replaced Barker on drums as Barker was unwilling to fly after his plane crash, which oh, makes sense. understandable. I would be so upset if I went to a Blink-182 concert and Travis Barker wasn't playing the drums. Yep. But I also understand. I would never want him to put himself in a situation that made him uncomfortable. That is so kind of you to be so understanding to Travis Barker's needs and and mental health. Totally understanding his needs and mental health. Totally understanding. (laughs) Um, These dates were followed with a small North American tour and a series of shows celebrating the 10th anniversary of the band's self-titled album that November. The band played a European tour in August 2014, culminating in them headlining the Reading the Reading Reading and Leeds festivals. I don't know. It was the band's fourth appearance at the festival and second headlining slot. Uh, the reunion of the band had been characterized as dysfunctional by both Barker and DeLong. Hoppus commented on this era of the band in a later interview. Everything was always very contentious. There was always a strange vibe. I knew there was something wrong. In his memoir, Can I Say, Barker claims DeLong's behavior on tour was introverted until money started coming in, after which he'd get excited about Blink. He states DeLong abruptly quit sometime mid-2014 and rejoining the following day. The group planned to begin writing their seventh, uh, seventh album in 2015, which had continually continually seen delays. I'd do interviews, and I just felt awful for fans because they were promised albums for years and we couldn't do it, Barker later said. A record deal was finalized and sessions were booked before DeLong's manager informed the band he intended to spend more time on non-musical activities and indefinitely depart from the group. This is the lead singer? Uh, Tom DeLong. Yeah. In his own statement, DeLong remarked that he never planned on quitting, just find it just find it hard as hell to commit. After these events, Barker summarized the band's reunion. Why Blink even got back together in the first place is questionable. <laughs> oh my god. Hoppus and Barker decided to continue on without DeLong and enlisted Al- Alkaline, Alkaline Trio, Trio vocalist slash guitarist Matt Skiba to fill in for three shows in March 2015. Hoppus and Skiba had been wanting to work together musically for several years, so he was the first and only person considered for the role. After but the- could he do? Where are you? <laughs> Where are you? And I'm so sorry. I cannot dream. Or no, I cannot sleep. I cannot dream tonight. Ugh. Why did we listen to that? I, I still fuck. I fuck I mean, with that I song. I mean, I bump it, but it's terrible. It. <laughs> Spiders in my. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> where are you? Where are you? I'm sure it's 
very good. Actually, I I saw them last August, and they did great. I feel like my mom only ever calls me to ask me where I am, so I kind of want to make that my new ringtone for when my mom calls yes. me. So it just says, where are you? <laughs> um, yes, I think okay. Matt Skiba does a great job. Um, after legal battles with DeLong were worked out, Skiba joined Blink-182 as an official member and began preparations for new music. The resulting album, California, was produced by John Feldman. He was the group's first new producer since longtime collaborator Jerry Finn. California was recorded between January and March 2016. The band, as well as Feldman, would regularly spend 18 hours in the studio a day, aiming to start and complete multiple songs in that time frame. Nice. We all wanted to write the best record that we could. It does feel like a new beginning. It feels like when we used to tour and sleep in the van because that's all we wanted to do. Um, that's all we wanted to do is play rock music, said Hoppus. Upon its July 2016 release, California became the band's second number one album on the Billboard 200 and the first in 15 years. It also reached the top for the first time in the United Kingdom. Its lead, lead, its lead single, Bored to Death, became the group's first number one single in 12 years. The band supported the album with a large headlining tour across North America between July and October 2016 and a European leg in June and July 2017. A deluxe edition of California, essentially a double album, including songs left off the original album, was issued in 2017. California earned the band their first nomination for Best Rock Album at the Grammy Awards. Critical reviews of the album, however, were mixed. Many considered Feldman's input and the throwback nature of the songs as formula, formula, formulaic. Formulaic? What does that mean? <clears throat> Following a formula, so it's like overly produced and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, like if they're it's if they're saying that the the throwback era of it and all of that is like they're pandering to people from well their old audience essentially. Yeah, why? Yeah, would that's it, what people like. I like. Yeah, exactly. People want. Oh, people are stupid. People are dumb. After the conclusion of the California tour, the band took time off and are currently preparing the record for their eighth studio album. Somehow Blink has had the resurgence like we never expected. Hoppus told Kerrang! in July 2017, I count myself lucky to have been playing in the band as long as I have. The band signed a 16-date residency deal with the Palms Casino Resort in Las Vegas. The show nice. known as Kings of the Weekend were to take place on select weekends beginning May 26, 2018. And end on November 17th, 2018. So it just ended. Uh, the band had to reschedule several residency tours after Barker developed blood clots in his arms. After Barker was cleared by his doctors, the band resumed the Vegas dates on October 26, 2018. The band collaborated with Steve Aoki, who previously remixed Bored to Death, on the track Why Are We So Broken, which is featured on Aoki's album Neon Future 3. And apparently I was just done, because that's all I had. <laughs> I thought I finished this. That is done. Um, yeah, that's where they're up to now. I fucking love Blink-182 puts on the really fun shows. I hate being in crowds yep. for concerts because I get claustrophobic, but yep. with them, I, I I did not I was not bothered by people pushing me at all because they're so good and they're so into it. You don't notice that you're crowded. I hate being crowded, but I say I yeah. <clears throat> I will stand back at every single concert. And I like I I want to stand back at every concert because I I don't care that my friends want to be in the middle I just don't want to be yeah, in the middle. Yeah, I will stand off to the side. I always I'm definitely a stand in the back off to the side person because I, I don't want to be bothered. I won't enjoy it if I'm fucking no. being pushed. I had a straight up panic attack at um, Mumford and Sons at an outdoor theater because like drunk people were like bumping into me and stuff. And, and also I was, like, Mumford and Sons. It was really good. Doesn't sound hectic. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But there was a lot of bumping. I had a panic attack um, 
when we went to see Kid Cudi, Tyler, the creator, opened for Kid Cudi, and Tyler, the creator fans, are literally the worst people. Yeah. They almost, there were literally guys jumping on top of me and Linda. Nope. In a crowd. Goodbye. Jumping on top of us. Goodbye. Trying to almost crowd surf in a way. They almost ripped out my earrings, so Linda and I were like, fuck this, and we just escaped and went to the back, and we yeah, lost I would have. the other two. We were like, yeah. we're not, no. When Kirsten brought me to, we went to Fall Out Boy at the Myth, like right when they got Fucking back together. Oh my god. I was like, we were up in the balcony because I was like, I want nothing to do with this. Right. And then I was watching the people that were down in the, mm-hmm. the like pit, and they, they were literally like dousing people with like cold air because it was like so insanely like yeah. crowded and I was like I, that just looks like a panic attack <laughs> yeah no I hate it I hate being pushed I hate being shoved I will stand back at a concert because I want to not because I'm angry I just, just want to enjoy the music I don't want to be I don't want to do that <laughs> same uh also rate and subscribe um follow us on Instagram tell us more podcast we'd really like your feedback so just leave a comment rate subscribe make us happy it takes two seconds uh I love you very much Judy Bloom and Blink-182. I love when we have the most random we do. combinations. We have, none of our combinations have ever made sense. I did the Loch Ness Monster it. and you did Nazi fighting teenagers. Like, yeah. Yeah. A combo for the ages. I know, right? We give you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. A little bit of this, a little bit All right. All right. Signing off. This no, is Marissa. Say that. <laughs> I hate that. Please never say that again. Goodbye. Goodbye. I didn't like that. I don't like <laughs> Is that funny? That's funny. Okay. <laughs>